millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast. Oh, fuck. Hello and welcome... <laughs> Sorry, No, that's okay. Will I just do it? I'll just carry on from yeah. here? Let's carry yeah, on. Yeah, let's do it. Why yeah. not? This is how professional we are. Welcome to another Arsecast. It's kind of an emergency Arsecast in a way because of the story that's broken this morning. Uh, it is Tuesday, isn't it? It is Tuesday. Stan Kroenke will become the uh, overall owner of Arsenal uh, in time. It hasn't quite happened yet, but he will own 100% of the shares of Arsenal Football Club. So uh, I've spoken to Tim Payton from the Arsenal supporters trust about this. I've also spoken to Ian Wright, uh, and we spoke about this very briefly before we went on to matters on the pitch. That's all to come, but with me to begin the podcast, uh, James from Gonna Blog. James, um, good afternoon. Good afternoon, it is. Good afternoon, yeah, just about. It's funny, isn't it? We did the podcast yesterday, and a couple of people got in touch saying, oh, they thought we seemed a bit a bit down on our chances. We were just 24 hours early. We knew something bad was coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, we do apologise if it felt a bit gloomy yesterday. It was just trying to be realistic. We are uh, excited and and hopeful about the new season. Um, but it feels to me like what's happened today with the Kroenke news, the Usmanov uh, sale to Stan Kroenke. Usmanov, of course, he said he was never going to sell to Stan Kroenke. He was an Arsenal fan and that was, that was not going to happen. He was going to save his uh, shareholding. At one point, I think he said, I'm going to save my shareholding for not just me, but for my family, like a legacy, a family legacy. He was going to pass it on to Mini Usmanov and mini mini Usmanovs, uh, as many uh, as Usmanovs can be. But uh, look, shit happens. Things change. The world is a different place. It's not as easy for Russian businessmen to exist in the UK as uh, as it once was, and perhaps that was a factor in in everything that's uh, that's gone on. But it really feels like this has. I'm not going to say cast a shadow or a cloud over things, but it has it has had an impact on people's mood because I think. In general, the reaction to it has been far from positive. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Usmanov there. I suppose the silver lining, if you want to try and find it, is that Usmanov is kind of out of the club now. Um, It may not be easy for Russian billionaires to have a place at Arsenal, but it wouldn't surprise anybody if he found one at at Everton. Uh, Not sure he was ever quite the Arsenal fan he claimed to be. And even if he was, he's you know he's gone back on his word there. Who could believe that we wouldn't be able to take Alisher Usmanov at his word? These billionaires, uh, I thought they were the most <laughs> honest, truthful people in the world. Isn't I know, that- and they make all their decisions based on passion of the heart <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> um, yeah, it has cast a bit of a shadow. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because it's something that we have, I guess, imagined might be coming for some time. And mm. people might turn around and say, well, what does this really change? You know, Crunky had... He had control of the club yesterday. He's got it tomorrow. I don't really see what the fuss is about. But I think for me, leaving aside the practicalities, leaving aside the business element, I think it's 
it's an emotional thing, really. And I think as long as there was a, a, a an element of uh, fan shareholding among the ownership, I think I could kind of suspend my disbelief a bit and believe that Arsenal had some kind of custodianship. And now it just feels like that has gone. You know, we're faced with the stark reality of being owned by someone very, very far away with relatively little interest in our footballing affairs. Yeah, it's... Um... It is a bit like that. Uh, I've completely forgotten what it was I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I remember now. Just before we get into some of the other bits, any issue with the timing of it coming just before the start of a new season? Do you feel like this is something they they were aware of or is this not something that would have been a consideration when they did this deal? This is a, you know, this is a... Uh, high-stakes deal. It's not something that will have been thrashed out over, you know, a couple of pints in a bar. This will have... I saw something today, actually. I couldn't read it because there was a, there was a link on News Now, but it was a legal website. I can't remember. I think it was called Legal Week. And in order to to read the article in full, you had to subscribe. So I said, oh, maybe I'll subscribe and you know for a month and see what it is. But it was £268 for the year, so no thank you very much. But they were talking about three big companies advising Stan Kroenke on the sale. I can't remember exactly who they were. Um, I should look at this, shouldn't I? Let me just uh, let me just have a look at it here. Okay, here's here's the hat trick of companies that were advising Stan Kroenke. Uh, Clifford Chance... Freshfields, Brookhouse, Derringer, and Slaughter and May, um, all these big financial institutions, were advising on Arsenal majority shareholder Stan Kroenke's £600 million offer to buy the whole of the football club. So that's three big, ginormous financial firms just advising Kroenke. You would imagine that Usmanov has had his own people on this as well. It's a big, complicated deal. Um, so... Maybe the timing of it isn't significant, but it kind of feels a little bit that way as we're gearing up for a new season. Yeah, I think so. I think the timing is significant in terms of that it's fallen this summer. Uh, I do wonder if, you know, with Arsene Wenger having been effectively moved out, I wonder if Kroenke thought, well, this might be the time to push ahead with this deal if if Usmanov's open to it. Because had Arsene still been at the helm and Arsenal still regarded as a club sort of locked into stasis with Kroenke continuing to give the manager contracts against the will of the majority of the fan base, I think this news would have been even more poorly received. I wonder if with that kind of fresh start, fresh impetus around the club. It was kind of a convenient time maybe to to bring about this change when there's already been so much other change this summer. Yeah, I mean, there has. Um, the the issue over Kroenke owning 100%, everybody has their concerns and, you know, they'll be outlined a little bit later on when I chat to Tim Payton, but the lack of accountability and transparency, as much as that was there at this moment in time, you know, Kroenke could still do pretty much uh, whatever he wanted in, in terms of how he ran the club. Now he can be a bit more secretive and he can take payments if he wants and he can take dividends if he wants and he can he can leverage the value of the club, you know, for various other assets. So this loan that he's taken to to make the offer to Usmanov, it might be a case that once he gets 100%, he could go behind closed doors and take a dividend every year and use that dividend to pay off the loan, etc., etc. But do you feel maybe there's a, uh, a possibility, 
given that we are Arsenal fans and we kind of have this natural, I'm not saying all of us, but there is a uh, certainly over the last little while, a natural predisposition to looking for the very worst case scenario in any situation, whether it's a signing, whether it's a managerial contract, a player contract, whatever it might be, we're, we do have this within us. So, you know, are we just taking this as the worst possible thing that could happen when in reality we could actually just go along the way we've been going on at this moment and you know if it was to be if it was to be uh, even better you know Kroenke could put his money where his mouth is and talk about the ambition that he has for the club and back that up by giving Unai Emery more money to spend well I mean it's interesting as well that the timing falls just before the transfer deadline with Arsenal apparently scrabbling around for a centre-half. It wouldn't surprise me if a bit more cash is potentially freed up to kind of sweeten this news a bit, even in this next few days. Um, uh, maybe we are. Maybe we are. As I said, I think for me, it is just that emotional thing. It is that thing of, uh, you know, consigning history to the past. And as much as it was essentially true yesterday, today it's practically true. And that that does make a difference a little bit to me in, how, in terms of how I feel about the club. But as the, as for the day-to-day running of it, perhaps there won't be a great deal of change. And, you know, as much as we may be not enamoured with the Cronkies, it was Josh's influence, we suspect, that led to... He was the true catalyst for change, you know, in theory, I think, before this summer. He was the guy who came over and reported back and suddenly we had all these huge changes at the club. Ivan Gazidis can try and take credit for that, but... I suspect it was Josh Cronkey who really had his dad's ear in, in that instance. And maybe we have to try and derive some hope from that and some hope that there is a, a will to take the club in a positive direction. I suppose it's just we are now entirely dependent on them, you know, and, yeah. and it does feel like we're kind of locked into this. It's going to be, it would be very, very difficult for anybody to broach a takeover at this point, especially with the valuation that now puts on the club. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, certainly when you look at Alisher Uzmanov and the the type of businessman that he is and the type of company that he keeps, you know, I think if you were to look at him on his own merits, leaving him... I mean, the thing is about Uzmanov, in the eyes of many Arsenal fans, is that he is simply not cronky, and by being sure. not cronky, there's a lot of positives to that. But I think if we were looking at him on his own merits, we might say... This is not necessarily the kind of character that you would like associated with your football club. However, what he did do was at least provide some measure of counterbalance to Kroenke um, because he had these shares. Uh, That's gone now and that will be gone. Um, And people's concerns, I guess, are also based around the the record of Kroenke's teams in, in the US where he hasn't necessarily seemed that invested in ensuring their success success being the thing that 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 we all want for the football club for our football club anyway we wanted to be competitive and everything else but that's not necessarily been the case with his his US franchises if you like yeah sporting ambition hasn't been top of his agenda really has it i mean it's it's an investment opportunity for him and he's always been relatively transparent about that i mean you remember that interview he gave with the Telegraph uh, a 
couple of years ago where he said, you know, you'd be crazy to go out and try and win everything, the amount of money that it would cost, and it didn't win him too many supporters back mm. here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that is the concern. And I think, you know, I think over the past year, there have been a couple of takeover stories, haven't there? I know there was one that you reported on yourself about a, a consortium who were potentially interested in yeah. taking some kind of stake in Arsenal. And I, I was one of those people kind of secretly hoping that that might come to pass. And that appears to be extremely unlikely at this point. I mean, I guess Crunky is the lesser of two evils in in some ways, but for others, they'll feel he's not, that his kind of business-minded approach, a business-first approach is actually one of the biggest issues at this club. Well, um, yeah, but I mean, I think if, if it was a case that people thought Stan Kroenke was going to run Arsenal as the best-run business it, it could possibly be run as, right? Yeah. You you might say, okay, it shows a lack of ambition or it shows a lack of willingness on his part to invest personally in the team. And it feels to me like that's something that we probably need. We need to we need an injection of something beyond the club's own resources to kick us back on track. That's kind of the way I, I feel about it. And I'm not convinced that that's going to happen with Kroenke. But even so, if, if you thought um, he's going to run this business to the absolute maximum... I'm not sure we've been doing that up to now anyway. And he's had that kind of control. The The payments he took out, for example, um, were an indication that he sees some of the club's revenue as uh, income for him or for KSE, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not simply money to be reinvested back into the team. And at a time when the team really needs it, I think, um, that's, I, that's what's going to cause people concern. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a reasonable concern. I think it, it's likely to be that way. I mean, when you look at this summer, we've probably spent more money, certainly, than the newspapers were predicting that we might. Uh, I know there's time yet to sell people between now and the deadline, but it's still nothing to compete with the likes of Liverpool, say, mm. uh, in terms of what the, the outlay is there. And it, it doesn't, when you look at Cronkis' track record, it doesn't look likely that we will sort of hit those numbers uh, any time in the next few years. Uh, unless, I suppose, things get so bad that he feels, well, it's absolutely necessary to sort of protect my investment. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. And look, it's all... It, it is all relative. It, it's all connected. Success on the pitch equals financial success as well. You know, I know TV revenues and, and media rights and all those kind of things are a huge driver in in what a club earns, but Champions League money is important. Um, getting back into the Champions League, winning things, winning things enables you to have a full stadium. If you've got a full stadium and you've got people willing to pay ticket prices, you can also raise ticket prices as well, which is something I guess that might come down the line. But if you've got a half-empty stadium, it doesn't look good from a commercial point of view, and, and there's only so far that that uh, broadcast money will, will prop that up. So we've got to hope, I suppose, that you know the need to actually be successful and to have fans behind the team and to have a positive atmosphere around the club will enable uh, you know, or will drive Kroenke to to help that happen. so I, I guess so. And I, one of the big buzzwords at Arsenal this summer has been accountability. And I know uh, in some respects, Kroenke may be able to be more secretive in terms of what he does, but there can be no dispute now about who is responsible really for Arsenal's fortunes. It, it, it is this one guy and his company. And so in that respect, he may find himself becoming a bit more accountable to the fans uh, and that could 
potentially be a good thing. All right. that's, that's an optimistic look at it, though. Okay, well, look, there's nothing wrong with having an optimistic uh, hat on, um, even if it might look a bit silly in a, a year's time. Who knows? But we, we'll keep fingers crossed. All right, James, we'll leave it there, and we'll catch you on Monday for the Arsecast Extra. Speak to you then. Join us on Monday for that Arsecast Extra, where I assume we will be talking a lot more about football than about boardroom and finance and ownership and all those things, because we'll be looking back on our opening day win over Manchester City. So there'll be... Uh, There'll be plenty to get our teeth into there. But joining me now, Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust, who have had plenty to say on the uh, the Ali Sharuzman off sale to Stan Kroenke and what it might all mean for Arsenal Football Club. Tim, aside from uh, your role with the AST as a fan, what's your what's your feeling about this this morning? Uh, very disappointed. I think we all felt it would probably end up like this, but it it doesn't feel good for Arsenal. It's a continuation of a trend of of football clubs becoming becoming big corporates and organisations that, you know, are distant from fans and take actions that aren't in the interest of the long-term supporter. It is something that is prevalent throughout football now. Is there any particular reason why Arsenal should be exempt from this? And, you know, I feel much the same as you do about this, to have one guy take full control is worrying on many aspects and we might touch on those in in a couple of minutes time but just to sort of play devil's advocate here how could we have avoided a situation like this given that the circumstances that we had at board level were the way they were there was essentially a cold war between Ali Sharuzmanov and Stan Kroenke that was never going to to be healed because the issues between the two men were irreparable so Given that nobody else was going to come in and buy Usmanov shares and be, uh, you know, another dead man walking or have a, a white elephant uh, shareholding in the in the club, what what could have happened to to stop this deal going through? I don't think really there is very much. It was going to be Kronky owned Arsenal or Usmanov owned Arsenal mm. or I guess very, you know, distant possibility some other multi billionaire, you know, owning Arsenal all in different ways would raise this single issue that, that my, my belief, it might not be realistic anymore, but that Arsenal and indeed other football clubs are too important to be owned by any one person. You know, they're a community asset. It, that, what's that word club? If you go back to where it all comes from, it's about people clubbing together and being involved. But that's perhaps the romantic head on me. The reality is this is how football clubs are owned. And I think what worries us is if you look at the American model, and we've seen this trend in recent years, and even when I did get access to Stan Kroenke many years ago, he talked about being an investor. It's an investment model that Arsenal have ended up with now. And we've got someone that owns 100% of the club, and it's an entertainment portfolio that sells TV rights to make money. And I do not think that's going to play out well for us over the next five to ten years. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, we should point out he doesn't quite own 100% yet because there's a process he has to go through after buying Usmanov shares. He then has to make an offer for all the other small shareholding uh, shareholdings in the club. Uh, those people can decide whether to sell or not, but even if they decide not to sell, he can compulsory purchase the shares due to stock market rules. So it's inevitable that he will own 100% of the club. The impact or the consequences of that uh, are, are fairly obvious. There is 
at the moment some measure of transparency and some measure of accountability. If you look at the issue where KSE took those two payments out of the club, around £3 million each for advisory services or whatever way they dressed it up, there was such an amount of fan disquiet over that that quietly they didn't take that payment from then on. And that was not a huge victory or anything like it, but at least that measure of accountability stopped that from happening. But if Stan Kroenke owns 100% of Arsenal, there's nothing, A, to stop him taking whatever fees for advisory services or payments that he might like, and B, we might have no way of knowing about it because there'll be no public accounts. Well, that's right. It's a very good illustration of how, although it was a small support or involvement remaining, it, it did have a little bit of a check and balance. I mean, Ivan Gazidis acknowledged that it was the protest, particularly at the AGMs and by small shareholders against that £3 million payment that made a difference. And it's small in one way, but also £3 million is, is about what a ticket increase on, uh, at the Emirates creates in a year. So, you know, I think it, it did matter. And you've given the perfect illustration. Going forward, Maybe we'll still be able to see it eventually in accounts because there'll have to be some kind of company held in the UK. Mm. But it will be much harder to find and there'll be no scrutiny on it, no check and balance, perhaps no description of a related party payment. And he can also, um, remember, Andrew, he can take dividends much more easily now because yeah. they all go to himself. Whereas I think before there was a there was a nervousness or a, or a resistance to paying dividend, partly because he'd have had to pay quite a bit of it to to Usmanov and also to the small shareholders who would have probably said, no, don't give it to us, it's not right. So all of this is a trend which isn't welcome. What do you make of the way that the offer has been um, made to Usmanov? Uh, in the statement to the Stock Exchange, he says... Mr. Kroenke has used 45 million, blah, 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 cash from his own resources. Uh, in addition, Mr. Kroenke entered into a bridge facility agreement with Deutsche Bank. So that's a bridging loan, basically, of 557 yeah. million pounds to fund the purchase of Ali Shir Usmanov shares. I think the, 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 the payment to Usmanov, based on the number of shares and based on uh, the, the price per share, comes in at almost exactly 550 million pounds. Do you have concerns that, despite the fact they say the offer is not being funded by way of any debt finance, um, the payment or repayment uh, won't depend on the business of Arsenal, do you have concerns that once this 100% thing goes through, we have no way of knowing how that loan is going to be serviced and what the value of Arsenal or how he leverages that value, how that might go? Yes, because he... At the moment, the loan, as you've said, hasn't been placed against Arsenal. Arsenal aren't used as collateral. But we don't know if he's planning a £20 million dividend each year to pay back the payments on that. We just don't know, do we? Mm. Um, it is concerning that money has had to be raised to, to put into this purchase. It makes you think, well, what exactly is going on and what is going to happen in the future? But we just don't know. We just don't know. But it doesn't it doesn't have a good smell about it for the future of Arsenal. Do you believe what they say when they say private ownership is uh, the best model for, uh, what do they say here, uh, to, to uh, move quickly in furtherance of the club's strategy and ambitions? They say that 18 of the 20 clubs in the Premier League are privately owned, as if this model is, well, it's, cl it's clearly not unusual, um, but do, do, we, do we necessarily buy into that being 
the right way for football clubs to be owned and to be run. Is it, I mean, are we kind of living in a dream world where fans and people who support the club and love the club have some kind of input into the way that it's run? As we've seen, uh, you know, if you look at Barcelona or clubs in Spain, for example, where they have the membership structure there, you know, there's no way of turning that around in English football or in Premier League clubs. No, it can't be turned around now. I mean, the Bundesliga had it as well and in other countries, but it, it's something that you have to go back over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, their legal systems, how how things have built up. But if I come back to, to, to the start of your question, I think it's bullshit, to be honest, Andrew. There's <laughs> nothing about owning 60%, 67% of Arsenal in terms of the football management that changes in owning all of it. You have complete say over the appointment of manager, over expenditure on the club and how you want to operate. Your speed or not, your effectiveness or not comes purely down to you as a management team and the decisions that you make. There's not a single decision over the last three years in how, you know, you could look at the Wenger situation, the transfer situation, the management of the club, the commercial decisions. There's not a single decision taken that having 67% makes any difference to having 100%. Yeah. What, the, what the 100% does do, of course, is all that we've been talking about already, the transparency and accountability and what happens to the broader financial position of the club. And I think the giveaway is, I don't know how much you've had a chance to scan all the paperwork yet, but there's no actual illustration of how that 100% might make things better other than a statement that, well, everybody else does it. Well, sorry, I don't want Arsenal to be like everyone else. I want Arsenal to be custodian, you know, and the best community club there can be. Yeah, well, that ship, unfortunately, appears to have sailed. And, you know, we go back when, when this all started to take place around 2006, I believe, uh, you know, with with the David Dean situation, he was the one who brought Stan Kroenke into the club. And because of the way that happened, Kroenke arrived thinking he was going to be welcomed by the board, but instead uh, found himself, um, I, I guess, an enemy at first before things were clarified. But it cost David Dean his position. Dean then went on to uh, set up Red and White Holdings with Ali Sharuzmanov. It was a power play from David Dean to try and establish himself, I guess, as the, the man who would run the club, whether it was with Stan Kroenke or Uzmanov, he didn't seem to care. But the fallout of that is what's left us where we are today. Yes, yeah, you're right. This is, this is the final, if you like, piece of that movement that's been going on for nearly 10 years now. And I do wonder as well, you know, you have to think, I, there are some broader issues going on around um, Russian oligarchs owning stakes in English clubs, and it really goes back to Novichek Salisbury. I'm not really sure how we've ended up talking about Novichek at Salisbury on a on an Arsenal podcast, well, but that's the world that we live in. Yeah. But I think that you know, I think there are some broader issues going on, you know, for Usmanov that have probably led us to where we are now. It also makes me wonder, you know, perhaps I put two and two together here, but the news about Ivan Gazidis likely being off. Because certainly from his demeanour in the early days, and I've heard him say a lot of things and change his position, he wasn't necessarily a fan of this kind of approach but there again what would he be going to at Milan so maybe that is a two and two who knows yeah I mean it might explain why this is a thing certainly if this has been going on in the background it's uh, it's reasonable to assume that the board and Ivan Gazidis are well aware of, of everything that's happening so I think they've said in their statement that they're not planning any changes at board level which you know, perhaps that, as much as we don't like what's going on, that that's another thing to be concerned about because there are issues where, uh, you know, 
this football club could use a bit more football knowledge at board level. Obviously, we've brought in Raul Senyehi, who's uh, you know vastly experienced with his time at Barcelona. Sven Mislintat, head of recruitment. But these are sort of football structures. You know, it feels like the board could use a bit of a shake-up, whether it's Josh Kroenke or whether it's somebody else. But to say that there's no um, plan to, to change anything at board level seems very strange to me. And certainly what I heard last week was that Ivan Gazidis would be going to, to AC Milan. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. The board does need a shake-up. First of all, it just needs to be you know, younger and more vibrant and more diverse to re- reflect the community it's based in and what it's doing. I also think that it's not just about football. It needs, it needs some good people there who are experts in the broadcast field, in fast-moving consumer goods and sponsorship, you know, the type of world that Arsenal live in and and you look at that board you know and a distant owner and it doesn't give you confidence that that is the absolute best setup for Arsenal Football Club might might it be a case that if Ivan Gazidis goes and um, I'm not saying this is categorically the case but certainly Ivan Gazidis has taken a bit more interest in footballing matters than you would normally expect a CEO of a football club or a business to to take. Uh, His remit primarily was the business side of things and commercial deals. We had that strange situation where there was a fraudulent commercial deal done uh, with a a Chinese company. Uh, Commercial revenues have not been as strong as people might like. So if it's a case that Ivan Gazidis goes and we bring in somebody to focus more on the business side of things while appointing somebody else as the kind of football chief executive if you like a a director of football perhaps like Raul who knows maybe that might be a a way for the club to go I I think that with the likely departure of Gazidis what you would see is a is a chief executive who is a bit more like a ringmaster like a leader you know their job is to make sure everyone else is doing well and getting on and if I explain that perhaps better I think you would see Raul in effect be the director of football you'd then have the director of commercial and the chief executive sits above it all, acting as the figurehead, the leader, the external voice to fans, and they set the tone and the mood. But I, I would agree with you. I think Gazidis moved into that a lot more than was expected, and I wouldn't have thought that the replacement comes with a football CV. I think they'll come with a senior corporate leadership CV. Do you feel like they're will be a lack of awareness on the part of KSE, Stan Kroenke, etc., etc., about how this deal is going to go down, how fans are going to react to it, how it's going to change the mood around the club, which has been, for the most part, this summer really positive because of the changes that have been made with Arsene Wenger. Uh, he, he's moved on. We've brought in Unai Emery. There's new coaches. There's new players. There's enthusiasm for a new season. Um, you know, I, I think cautious optimism is the way that I would describe it amongst most fans. There seems to have been a kind of togetherness that hasn't been there, certainly during the most divisive elements of the Arsene Wenger years. Do you expect them perhaps to acknowledge that in any way? Um, not necessarily with words, but by by actions. They talk about uh, KSE's ambitions for the club are to see it competing consistently to win the Premier League and the Champions League, as well as the major trophies in the women's senior game and at youth level. And that's perfect. I, I, I can't argue with that. If that's your ambition, absolutely fine. I don't think anybody could argue against that being the ambition of the football club. That's what it should do. But it's easy to say it. 
it's easy to say that, but what we've got to see perhaps is is an investment in the team beyond the self-sustaining model that Arsenal have operated under. So it might take Stan Kroenke putting some money in his, uh, putting his hand in his pocket and investing into the team to help those things happen. Do you think that might prove to people perhaps that the, the people who are running Arsenal are doing it because they actually have this ambition and not just because they're good at saying they have it? Well, that's what the advisors have written into the takeover document. I mean, we've had eight or nine years now, haven't we? And I don't think, do, do you get the sense that we have an owner that, that every day wakes up and thinks, how do I make Arsenal the best football club in the world? No. I don't at all. I think, you know, the beginning of your question said, were they aware? I think it's a mixture of they're absent. They're absent partly because they don't care. And being absent also means they don't really hear it, you know. It, you know, if Arsenal fans aren't happy, does he pick up on it? He doesn't go to games. He's not around the infrastructure. He's not part of that sort of value setting, the club, the community. I don't think they really care. I think it, it, it's a long-term holding. Um, what he's really bought into is media rights. The media rights keep going up in value. And now he has now he has complete control over them. Another thing which I think you'll see coming, because it comes particularly from the Americans, but even more so is this push of the, of the big clubs, along with their, their, their owners, the Glazers and others, for more of the Premier League revenue, for more of trying to grab, you know, the TV cash, which ultimately, you know, you might look at it and say, well, why that's a bad thing, it makes Arsenal stronger. But it doesn't in the long run, because the other big clubs get richer as well. And I just think it leads to a Premier League that's less interesting to watch and a, and a football that those of us that believe in the long-term values of football care about less. But sadly, I think this is another another move of Arsenal moving in that direction of being a corporate rather than a club. Again, you know, it does feel inevitable that... I don't know how you can compete, really, in, in Premier League terms or in footballing terms without having some very rich person being your owner. And with that comes all the moral quandaries and whether we like it or not, perhaps it's a reality that, that we have to face. But do you feel in any way positive about what, 100% cranky ownership might give to Arsenal Football Club. Is there part of you that thinks, OK, maybe they will now that they've got 100%. They don't have to deal with Usmanov. They don't have to, uh, you know, watch him firing shots from the sidelines or anything like it. You know, if, if for example... Josh Kroenke is handed the keys to Arsenal and this is his part of the portfolio of the franchises that they they hold KSE and he's told, you know, go and be ambitious and, and try and win these things. You know, I, I'm clutching at straws here, I think, a bit, but, <laughs> but I, 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 I don't really, feel I, like that. But really, I know where you're going and I'd, I'd really like to join in, but I think the answer I gave a few minutes ago that what's the difference between 67% and 100% yeah. in that? I just don't see any change to the to the modus operandi, to how they go about it, to what they do. I think it's business as usual with that chilling thought that the financial side and the corporate side, they can make changes which are to our detriment. And the track record, both of how they operate with management fees, how the Glazers now operate, how other American investor owners come at it, suggests that, you know, it could well go that way. The best case scenario is that we carry on like we've been for the last few years, which isn't exactly wonderful news, is it? You know, you end up clutching at the straws and it won't get any worse. Because I really struggle to see how it gets better. 
other than I guess if you want me to try and find a you know something to look at, it does seem that there's a positioning more for Josh Cronkey to be involved. Not least, we mustn't forget that Stan Cronkey, I think, is 71, 72 now. Mm. You know, so we'll be looking to hand over and move on. Perhaps Josh Cronkey will bring a bit more of a can-do attitude to it, a bit more positivity in how he does things. But I don't think he'll be breaking out from that standard KSE model, which is that you invest to make money rather than, you know, throw yeah. yourself into it like a wholehearted fan. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the reality for me is the, the track record of the KSE teams and everything we've seen from Stan Kroenke in the past. You know, he he's never felt like someone who wanted to engage in any way with the fans or to try and understand the club not 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 at all and this is why i say to people even even though there's very little to latch onto in this takeover information i remind people at the time of the last takeover there was a specific commitment given in it and it's quasi legal at the time that he would meet with arsenal supporters and engage personally with them mm. i mean in the eight years of ownership there's not been one meeting I mean, the Arsenal PR team, you know, looking very embarrassed, as they say it, try and say that when he comes to the AGM, he's engaging with Arsenal supporters. Well, again, that's bullshit. You know, sitting at the top table, you know, because it's your legal duty to answer questions to which he doesn't answer a single one, isn't supporter engagement. So there there really isn't anything there. And, you know, it's a different as well. He we, comes at it as an American investor over there. You know, their clubs, you know this, they set up franchises to make money. They move them around the country. It's all, it, it, they don't come out of the community in the same way. And so, unfortunately, we have a mindset and it sees us, it sees us as customers, not supporters. Yeah, and certainly Cronky has a, a bit of a track record in that regard, doesn't he, of uh, shifting he, he, his franchises? Well, he, he, you know? He's done that more recently. Yeah. But, you know, that, over there, that's quite common. That's yeah. not necessarily seen as something to get that particularly upset about. There are people in St. Louis who are upset, but it's kind of the model. And they have they, they, they have an interesting model about how they trade players and so on, which is all based on them all making more money. Hmm. Um, one, of, one of the very few comments right at the beginning when I got some access to Stan Kroenke, you know, it, it, it seems almost you know laughable to look at it now when he was talking to me, but not the Arsenal board. But there you are about 10 years ago. One of the few things he said of any resonance was, you know, no one, no, no one ever lost money buying a buying a football franchise. Yeah, well, I guess we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Very finally, what does it mean for organisations like the Arsenal Supporters Trust, like the Arsenal Independent Supporters Association, Black Scarf, people who are there to to represent fans and who have the opportunity to do that, albeit at a limited level at AGMs and and those kind of events. If those things aren't happening anymore, what kind of an influence can they realistically have? I mean, is it incumbent? on those groups and on fans to come together and stay together to try and do what they can when Cronky has 100%? Well, no, there's always a place for support organisations as a voice. You know, there's some very good work done by supporters' trusts. I often liaise with them at uh, um, places like Manchester United, Liverpool, um, Chelsea and so on. It was the spirit of Shankly is a, is a supporters' trust, a union based. You know they've been very effective on some things. So you know fan pressure can still be effective. What it does do is it removes that check and balance, particularly that the AST had of posing questions at an AGM of having some access. Um, our role, I would assume, will will carry on trying to do financial analysis. You can still get some reporting information wherever the company is listed, what's going on. But it does change that fundamental role 
of ownership, which is a great shame. And, you know, it will it will lessen still further the opportunity for various groups to be involved in the club and how they engage with a board and with ownership. It will be it will be more difficult. Um, but I think it's important to still stay and fight and try and have a say. And, you know, in, in recent weeks, there was some very good progress where a lot of supporter groups across football were working together on safe standing. So I think we'll we'll have to reflect on what the right structure and the right way of going forward is in. But I'm sure that AST members and other Arsenal fans will want to continue to try and make their voice heard in some way or, or another. And, you know, I know that we're very grateful for, you know, your podcast and the interest and support you show in helping get that voice out there. All right. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. It's not quite a whole new era, but it is certainly a big change in the way that Arsenal Football Club is going to be owned and run. Tim Payton, thanks very much. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, as always, it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the Arsecast somebody who uh, everybody loves listening to on this show, uh, and Roy Keane too, I believe, uh, Ian Wright. <laughs> <laughs> I know, as you know, tried off and everybody. You know, all those people, you know the ones who don't watch the World Cup often and then all of a sudden they're watching it and they hear me and Roy Keane. To be honest, I had a great time at the World Cup with Roy Keane. We spent a lot of time to, to deal with each other. And, you know, I mean, people say that I was taking the mickey out of his accent. So I haven't heard so much bollocks in my life. It was rubbish. I'm so pleased that they dropped it because it's just embarrassing. Can't say anything now. You know, people saying I'm taking a mickey out of Roy Keane. In their right mind, would try and do that. <laughs> uh, on the pitch or off it, exactly. Um, Honestly. We are uh, talking on the morning uh, in which something fairly major has happened in terms of Arsenal and the, the ownership of Arsenal. Um, Stan Kroenke has been the majority shareholder for a number of years now and has had more or less complete control. But yeah. um, buying out Ali Sheruzmanov's shareholding will give him 100% control. Whether that changes the way he runs the club or not remains to be seen. He's talked about ambition. He's talked about, you know, wanting the team to compete for the Premier League. But what's your gut feeling on it this morning? Um, it's very worrying, Andrew. Um, I think when you look at, like, you know, we we only have to look at the the, the, the participation of the owner. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking, what the hell's going on with Gazidis? All of a sudden, Gazidis is he leaving now? Mm. You know, when we've got, you know, he's even thinking of leaving now. Even 
if he had any kind of decency about him, he'd say, listen, thank you very much, AC Milan, but this was a massive thing happening now at Arsenal. Just got rid of our manager after 20 years. This ship needs to be sailing in the right direction. And I am somebody who's in a position that I've been here for the last 10 years, probably for the last five, trying to get Wenger out. Mm. Um, and, 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 and then he leaves. If he leaves... If he leaves, honestly, every single thing that I think about him will be, you know, totally cemented in respects of how I feel about him as a person and a man and a, and a businessman. He doesn't, he doesn't care. And I've said that for, for many years. If he cared about Arsenal, he would help the people who have just come in there to continue to try and get us on the back on the path to, to, to where everybody wants to be. Yeah. But when, we, when you're thinking of, 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 of Kroenke and what it means if he does get to, to have the whole controlling share... And I'm hearing people saying things like it's, it's going to be, you know, the business is going to be run from America. You know, we're not going to have no more AGMs. There's not, it's literally, it, I, I can't understand what that means, for the, especially for the fans. What does it mean? Why is he doing this? What is, is it purely, it's, it cannot be for anything other than the, 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 the gain, money. What can it be? Mm. I'm looking at some stuff on Twitter, some fella saying, well, you know, all that time of family-run business is gone. That's a family running the business for their own means. That's yeah. not nothing to do with us and Arsenal because where we are, with a manager that I think is, is really ready to go, he could be that manager that could go to the next level and Arsenal's a club with the right backing that he could probably do it with. And, you know, you've got, you've, you've got an owner who's looking to take everything away from everyone here in respect of the fans, people who love the club, do it in America. Somebody doesn't really care deeply for the club and what we're trying to do in respect of getting back to the higher echelons of winning it, trophies, the yeah. Premier League, the Champions League. And, and, and we're, he's, he's trying to get full control to do what? Yeah, is that to help us? I mean, is that your main concern? The fact that, look, if it was a guy who had expressed a great deal of ambition for the football club and who had displayed that ambition and, and you know, to be uh, play devil's advocate, uh, you know, money has been spent on the team. We have made some signings. Things have been changing over the last 12 months with a new coach and director of football, head of recruitment and, and all those kind of things. But, yeah. but, you know, personally... If we had a time of it, Andrew... If we had Abramovich, it wouldn't bother me because that man puts money into his team. He gets the right manager that he thinks is right for the club. He buys that player what he thinks that the manager wants. They spend money. We're talking about somebody who, as much as we've, we've spent money, we only started spending money. We spent money on Mesut Ozil. Um, you know, you know we, we, we need to be spending, if we're going to really compete, we've got to be starting to spend the 70 millions and the 80 millions to really get back to where we want to be. Now, at the moment, the way I see it, hopefully Torreira will come in and do it. Or Gendouzi, you know, he's still only a young, he's a young guy, he's a young player. Socrates, worries me. You know, he doesn't look like somebody who is that guy. At the moment, what I've seen up to this point, Andrew, he doesn't look like that guy that I'm thinking, whoa, dominant, dominant force. Yes, he's going to sort it all out. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm seeing Mustafi next to him. So I'm not seeing the kind of signings that says to me, if you had Abramovich, that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't be result, re, resolved. Those signings, you still worry. We've got an unbelievable offensive line with what we can do going forward, Andrew. But then we've we've got the hopefully Torreira works out to be this uh, this holding midfielder what we've been we've been missing for many many years. I think Guendouzi looks a little bit similar to El Neni from what he told us. But yeah. again, it's the defence. It's the defence, and hopefully, 
the work what um, um, Unai and, and, and Boldy and everybody's going to do, maybe we might defend better as a team. But what I've seen up to this point, Andrew, we've still, we've, we've still got work to do. So hopefully it will kick in. And to be honest, the litmus test will be Manchester City. If we can cause them problems and beat them and do well, it will give us confidence to move forward. But if Manchester City play like we know that they can play against a team that what we're going to try and press them, that's something that they're used to. That's mm-hmm. something that we're not used to. And then all of a sudden, if, they, if we start pressing the manager and then they get through us, what, you know, this, this first game, was, how come I'm so nervous? I'm nervous <laughs> I'm shitting myself. What, what do you... But I'm, I'm, go on. I mean, I was going to ask you what you make of the the the, the move to loan out Callum Chambers. It's a really strange um, situation, isn't it? Because strange, he just strange. he just signed a new contract four weeks ago, and Unai Emery said he's going to be a big part of my plans this season. Four weeks later, he's being loaned out to Fulham. Does I mean, does it worry you from the point of view that perhaps the 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 thinking isn't quite joined up between what the the head coach wants and what the the football executive committee if we can call them that uh, Ralph Sinyahi Sven Mislintat Ivan Gazidis currently at the moment anyway you know mm. they've got their ideas yeah. and maybe Unai Emery's got different ideas to theirs uh, Andrew come on man it, you know it, it it does it's not rocket science to work that out we've signed him for 4 years and I thought you know something good luck Callum Chambers because he is somebody that when you watch him in certain, you think there is definitely something there. We've always said about certain people have not been coached long enough, they haven't been coached, but you can see something there. So once we signed him for four years, I thought, right, brilliant. We've got a new coach, Unai Emery's seen something. He's signed him for four years, great sign. He's probably going to coach him and he's going to get in there and he's going to do great stuff. And and then I, I, I saw the other day, Karen Tame was walking, getting ready to go and have his medical at Fulham. It's confusing. That mm. confuses me because I don't know what's going on. And then, like I said, you mentioned, I mentioned earlier on about our, our, our CEO, Gazidis. He's, he's linked with AC Milan. Is he going to go? That's another load of instability that we're now starting to have to deal with. And then you get the mixed messages of Callum Chambers signing a four-year deal, then going to Fulham. I don't, Andrew, I don't, every time I feel like, I'm brilliant. I'm so happy about the signings and all the work, all the, all the, talk that's coming out of the training ground. The guys are really excited and you've seen a lot of stuff on social media, how excited they look and how much fun they're having. And then this kind of stuff comes in and it kind of like makes you feel a bit, oh God, I'm quite nervous again. You know, and then we've got Manchester City first game and then we've got Chelsea. You know, Andrew, can you imagine if, God forbid, if we don't start those two games well with our new manager, it just, you know, we're, we're, we're back into that kind of place where Oh no, we've got the new manager and the preseason went looks like it went pretty well, but the first two games of the season and people are saying that we haven't gone nowhere. I genuinely feel that we've got a good chance because the players will work harder and he will drill them a bit more, Andrew. But yeah. it's the proof is gonna be in the the proof is gonna be in the eating of the pudding. It it is gonna take him some time though, isn't it? Because many of the, the issues that this team has, even if you bring in a, a number of new players and they have done that, yeah. you know, they've addressed the issues that we wanted in midfield. We talked about goalkeeper, we've got backup for right yeah. back. You know, like you, I'm a little yeah. bit cautious about uh, the, the defensive signing. Uh, yeah. but you know, you know, we'll give the guy some time and see what he can do on yeah. the pitch before we make any judgment there. But all that aside you know a, a new manager can't come in and no turn a team around in three or four no. weeks of preseason training the during the summer it's going to take uh, some months absolutely and, and the thing is Andrew we've got to understand that the the Wenger era and how Wenger um, operate, operated and 
the way he ran the club and the way the players were towards the end, especially the last five, six, seven years, it's going to take some time to drill that out of certain people. And this is why I feel that seeing so many people come in with different attitudes and different, I don't know, d- different ambitions in respect of what they want to achieve coming to play in the Premier League, you're hoping that will kind of stir everybody up in that dressing because that's what we're going to need. We can't have that kind of, um, you know, we're just like, you know, we'll beat the teams that we should beat and we're just, because we've got quality players and we're just like ambling towards our great stuff, then we come up against really good teams and then we're back where we were. What we need is we need a manager to have the time to really get his philosophy working at our club, whether that means he's got to get rid of more players and bring in more players who have got the attitude that he needs or if he's going to coach that into a load of players that, let's face it, needed needed change. They needed something. And they've got the perfect opportunity now with this manager, who is very meticulous in his preparation, Andrew, to really try and do something. And I hope that we can change something. Because I think when you look at where Chelsea are, um, and we watched them the other day, and of course it's pre-season, you look at Tottenham, no signings yet. Liverpool obviously are going to, Liverpool are going to cause some problems. I think Man United, what's happening? We don't know. Paul mm-hmm. Brazy's staying. You know, are they happy? It's, it's a time where if we can get, get a foothold into the season and start well, and let's face it, if we can beat Chelsea and see, see in Chelsea in the first cup, that would give us a kind of a platform to move forward. Then yeah. we'll see where we go once we get to November. But I think that there's an opportunity, Andrew, for us to start well. I'm, I, I, think that, I think we can make top four. Yeah, you know what I mean, and I'm, well, I think because of the change, and there will be a sure. change in the team. I do, and I think that when you look at Tottenham, they're acting like, oh, no, it's fine. We've got a good team. You know, they have nine players in the semi-finals or whatever it was. They've got to still rest. Yeah. They're not starting at their stadium. They've got to get themselves going. You know, with no new signings up to this point. You know, Chelsea. You know what I mean? Is 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 you know Hazard wants to leave. I don't know what's happening with him. Willian. Now they're saying William might stay. You've got Tuvar Courtois. He might be leaving. You don't look, there's a lot of dissension in those teams. And we've got to try and take advantage at the start. And I think that we, if we can start well, we, we've got a good chance of finishing fourth this year. Mm, without w- wanting to tell tales or anything like that, obviously Steve Bold is a friend of yours. I mean, have you had yeah. some feedback from him on, on what preseason has been like and what the attitude is like, the, the character of the players, because they are obviously going to respond to a new manager. Everybody has got yeah. to prove to Unai Emery that they're worth a place in the team. It's not like he's going to come yeah. in and have his favourites. Um, you know, the way Arsene Wenger is there for so long, he had sort of maybe preconceived ideas about certain players. So yeah. uh, has the feedback been positive on how they've been working and yeah. preparing? Yeah, it has. And, and, and the way he, he kind of sounded out Steve Bold, he, just wanted to find out what kind of person he was dealing with. And I remember I had a drink with Boldy and he was saying, yeah, he thought that he was going to, you know, he thought he was getting blown out. And mm. he went and saw him. And obviously, Unai Emre, and this is why I've got so much respect for him and time for him. He already knew about everybody he needed to know about at the club. But what he wanted to find out from Steve Bold is if Steve Bold would tell him exactly the truth, what he already knew about these players. And Boldy is that guy. He told him exactly what he thought. And off of the back of that, obviously, Boldy's still there because people are saying, well, why is Boldy still staying there? Because he trusts him. And the fact is, Boldy said to me that, that you know, the, the training and what he's doing, his meticulous preparation, like I just mentioned, he said it's, it's, it's refreshing. The guys have responded very well to it. And you can see that. When you see the stuff that's coming off of social media, I'm so pleased to see that the guys are smiling and they're happy. Yeah. Now what's got to happen is we've got to see it transform, t- transmitted to the pit. And we've got to see that togetherness 
and that camaraderie, and this is why I'm worried about the defence. Hopefully the goalkeeper will kick in, whatever's going to happen with that. But like, hopefully as a team we're defending better because I think offensively, we're gonna, you know, we 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 we're gonna cause teams problems. Sure. I mean, as a as a great striker yourself, I'm curious. And I'll leave this as the final question because I don't want to take up too much of your time. But no, 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 you can We have got two very good strikers. We've got Pierre-Emerick mm-hmm. Aubameyang, who is a goal machine. Alexandre Lacazette, yeah. who at uh, 26-27 is going to head into the, the peak years of his striking yeah. career. There yeah. is kind of a sense that if you play Aubameyang out on the left, you're not getting yeah. the very best out of him. So, uh, what, what's your take on that situation? I mean, there are going to be times when the two of them play together. That's inevitable. Yeah. But if it's a case of when, when Unai Emery is sitting down to pick his team for Sunday's yeah. game against Manchester City, what does he do? Has he got to play Aubameyang as his central striker simply because of his quality in that position? I t- to be honest, it's, as, as a striker, you know, he's scored, he's been his most prolific down the centre. I think he's scored his, he's scored his like his 40-odd goals when he played with Borussia Dortmund. He's, he's scored them in uh, when he was down the centre. And as a striker, Andrew, you always want to be where you're going to score mm. the most goals. Now, you've seen him and I still think that from the left, he's still dangerous. But, I don't really want to see him tracking back in certain situations. Yeah. You don't want to see Pierre-Emerick tracking back. Um, so as then once we get the ball, he's down in and around the left-back spot or somewhere down there. And, you know, we, you want to see him right in amongst it. Now, I don't think Lacazette plays that role. Lacazette doesn't do the role where he's, he's he come on the left and then he'll track back. He's a striker and he has to stay up there. So it's worrying. It's worrying for me that... Um, where he's going to play Aubameyang, I still feel that, you know, I'll try and play them both. I'll try and play them both simply because that's goals. That's goals there. And I think that they, Aubameyang should not be somebody who's got the kind of defensive responsibility of having to track back, although he's done it before. The guy's a goal scorer, just like Lacazette. And if we've got goal scorers, got to get goal scorers onto the pitch. Now, I think that, He's got to try and play them both. I don't know how they're going to do it, you know. And this is why I'm on the pundit box and not in the, in the, in the manager's <laughs> box because I, I want him on. I want them both there because I can see goals in that. But I would like to see Pierre uh, Pierre Aubameyang uh, in the middle because he scores and he'll, he'll take a chance. And that's what we're going to need. We're going to need people who takes the char- take the chances as they come. I, I think Lacazette will do the same. Well, you don't get the same from Lacazette as you'd get from Aubameyang down the centre. He's a little bit more explosive, yeah. a little bit more clinical maybe. And so, it's something that, like I say, as long as Mezu can, you know, if everything was happening with Mezu, I, feel, I really feel for him. You know, if everything was happening, I just hope that this is the season where we can, we can really see like, the proper Mesut Ozil that we that we that we bought with the quality that he's got. I really do hope that he can really shine this year. Yeah, uh, Aubameyang. It's a big season for him. Sure is. Uh, just very finally on Aubameyang and Lacazette, they seem to have a really good relationship. We can see. I know we're yeah. only seeing it through social media, but it does appear to be very genuine. Um, and when you're the club's record signing, and six months later the club goes out and breaks that record to bring in a player yeah. in the exact same position as you, it might be seen as a difficult situation for you. But the two of them yeah. seem to get on well. So if we are going to play the two of them together, how important is that that this personal relationship that they have? I mean, for example, you and Dennis Bergkamp clicked yeah. straight mm-hmm. away, not just on the pitch, yeah. but on a, on a personal level as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. does, does does that help on the pitch to have absolutely. that relationship? Absolutely. Andrew, absolutely. You know, and, and, you, you, yeah, Andrew, Andy Cole, Andy Cole and Dwight York would say the same. 
you know what I mean? When you when you're with someone, you've got so much in common with that person. You spend time with them. You start to get to know them. It's like myself, even with, before with Mark Bray. You know, I had a great relationship with Kevin Campbell. Yeah. You know, even Alan Smith. You know, we wasn't in each other's pockets, me and Alice, but we got on really well off the pitch and things like that. You know, so if you if you have got a strike partner, what well, of course you know. What I mean, they both they both want to be playing, and they're they're rivals in the team in the sense of somebody wanting to play. If you can get on and, and have that professional respect for each other, you know, and, and you can play as a partnership, and, and, and you know, you're, you're, it's only gonna it's only gonna do well for the pair of you simply because you're gonna be even more potent and dangerous when you're together. You're gonna meet people. You're gonna because they're, they're both very unselfish strikers. If we're gonna be totally honest, mm. they're both really nice guys. You know what I mean? So you look at the two of them, and you can see that they would. You know what I mean? It's square for him. I, I, you know, like the penalty situation when it wasn't even a problem. You take the penalty. No, 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 no problem. That wouldn't happen with me. You know what I mean? I would have, I would have taken the penalty. <laughs> I would have got the hatchet because it's a different time. But we're talking about two two people who obviously like each other, and that's very, very important when you've got a, a relationship on the football pitch. Okay. Well, look, we hope they can hit it off because uh, you know it feels to me like the attacking side of our game could well be yeah. the thing that offsets some of our, yeah. I won't say weaknesses yet, but until Unai Emery can properly get on top of organizing the midfield yeah. and organizing the defense, our potency up front with those guys, with Mesut Ozil, Mkhitaryan, yeah. you know, Alex Iwobi, yeah. hopefully making a contribution yeah. as well. That'll be the thing. All right, well, look, we'll keep fingers crossed. What's happening with Aaron Ramsey? You tell me what's happening with Aaron Ramsey. Come on, you must well, have the inside. I ain't got a clue, Andrew, but <laughs> again... We can't lose a player like that now. Yeah. He's getting into And you know the thing is, I don't blame him. I know you need to go as well, Andrew, but I do not blame him for somebody who, let's face it, when we saw that season where he got his 20-odd goals and he's somebody that I've always admired because he never hides, he always plays how he plays, he always tries things. And the fact is, he's done it for Arsenal in respects of winning and, and doing stuff and putting good, putting good performances in now, under a lot of duress. And he's seen somebody like Mesut come in, with all due respect to Mesut, He's done exactly what Arsene Wenger said. He's going to see a lot more people running down contracts. Hopefully, that is what Aaron Ramsey's doing to get the very best deal. Because Mesut, with whatever he's on at the moment, why should Aaron Ramsey be sitting there with these representatives saying, hang on, whoa, 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 let's just hang on. Let's just hang on a bit. You're in a great position. Yeah. People want you. He's going into the, brilliant, the great years of his life in respect of a midfield player. Now, he's played a lot of football because he's been playing from a young age. But he's going into the peak years of his life why shouldn't he try and hold out for the kind of monies that Mesut's got? Why shouldn't he? Now, if he's uh, hopefully he's doing that, Andrew. But if he's not, and we lose him. I think that's a big loss. Yeah, I no. think that's a big loss for us. I agree. I agree, I, and I think it's one of those situations that the club has found itself in and hasn't really managed particularly no. well over the years. We've had too many players. Um, yeah, get, get getting into, into those that positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, we'll keep fingers crossed on that and everything else. But as ever, uh, Ian, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, enjoy the Hello, new yeah. season. Back on, back on match of the day this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I'm, going, I'm on. Yeah, me and Sarah and Lineker probably this weekend. Yeah. All right. You know I mean, hopefully. Um, but Arsenal's on Sunday, so you know they won't take the piss out of me too much if anything happens. <laughs> I won't be with them. Fingers crossed, we can win. So when I see them on, I'm seeing Sarah on Sunday, so. I just want us to. I'm just, just the first of City. Just, to, just to, why do we have to play City in the first game of the season? For Christ's sake! <laughs> uh, so, take, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to see. I'll see you soon, man. All right. Look, it's a pleasure as always, Ian. Thanks a million. God bless, Andrew.
Right, some good football chat to end the podcast with there. And thank you very much indeed to Ian Wright. We will chat with him hopefully throughout the season. As for this Cronky thing, where is it going to go? You know, I don't know. I don't know. In the very short term, it's probably not going to make any difference. I think the real fear that I have, and I can't speak for anybody else, of course, is, is where it might be in two years' time or three years' time when all these things that businessmen say that they've got no intention of doing, they end up doing. Like Ali Sharuzmanov saying he had no intention of selling his Arsenal shares. He was keeping them for future generations. He had no intention of selling them to Stan Kroenke. And here we are a couple of years down the line, and that's exactly what he's done. So you'll have to forgive me if I take a somewhat cynical view of the statement put out by KSE about the ambition, the desire for success, about how they're going to run the club, about the the way the loan has been taken out, all those things that they're saying now are, of course, the right things to say because they're not stupid. They're not stupid. They're not going to say, yeah, we're going to take a loan out and use the club's money to pay. No, they wouldn't do that. But things happen in the fullness of time that we might not like. And that's kind of where I am with it. If Stan Kroenke runs this club brilliantly, invests his own money, and we we achieve success and we get back to where we want to be and we win things, and it's because of the way the club is being run, I promise you I will be absolutely the first to give credit to Stan Kroenke and Josh Kroenke, Billy Bob Kroenke, and whichever other fucking Kroenkes are out there that deserve the credit, I will dish it out fair and square. No problem whatsoever. However, my fear is that somewhere down the line, because there's no real accountability, because there's no real transparency anymore, because they can do what they want, they will do what they want. And that might not be in the best interests of Arsenal. So uh, we're into uncharted territory, I guess, because although Kroenke could do what he wants anyway with his shareholding, the Usmanov stuff at least gave it a little bit of balance along the way. So, um, look, who knows? Who knows where we'll be? But uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for being here on this uh, emergency cast. Just to let you know, there won't be a bit after the music for this one because, well, I just don't have time. This was supposed to be a quiet day. I had so much to do today. And instead, we've been doing all this stuff. But uh, there you go. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll be back on Friday with some Premier League preview and, uh, and all the rest as the new season begins. So until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.